Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. How much is music a part of your family life? It might be a little or it might be a lot. I'm talking about everything from singing in the shower to nighttime lullabies, all the way through to formal education. Dr. Anita Collins has spent a considerable amount of time looking at all the ways music, in its many different forms, can help your child learn and grow. She's distilled a lot of that knowledge into a new book called The Music Advantage, and she joins us now. Hi, Anita. How are you? I'm good. How are you? What made you start to investigate the link between music and learning? What was the first inspiration? Well, there, there was a couple really. I'm a, a music teacher by trade and I still, I'm still practising, I'm still learning every single time I take a rehearsal or a class. But I was looking around for a topic to um, do for my PhD and that's really tricky. Someone gave me the advice and they said, choose a topic you're going to love as much at the end as you did at the beginning. So I searched oh, wow. around, yeah, I searched around for quite some time and I, I stumbled across this uh, article which was um, a well-known researcher and he was talking to a whole bunch of neuroscientists about this quite new field of research and he said to them, um, what do you think music teachers should know about the work that you're doing? And I kept reading through the article and kept reading. And I was, by the time I got to the end, I was furious. I don't need to know all that stuff, but here are my other questions that I want answered. And I thought, wow, if I get that excited about it, even if it is in a negative kind of way, then maybe this is my topic. And it's true, I'm more excited every single day about finding out more because ultimately I just want to be a better teacher, but through wanting to be a better teacher I've learned so much more about how music is such a vital part of our lives in so many different ways Um, and that's just what I want to be able to share I want to be able to share that research which is currently living in research papers and it's hard to understand I'd like everyone to know about it. Before we get too much into the interview itself do you play an instrument yourself? Yes so my first instrument was a clarinet uh, and I w- learned that all the way through primary school, through high school and then into university, and I had this great plan of wanting to be an orchestral clarinet player. Um, I got to the end of my degree and said, no, I don't want to do that, uh, and then became a teacher, and I sort of funneled, I know this sounds like a strange answer, but I funneled my musical knowledge into being a conductor, and to me that still is me being a musician. And then about three years ago I decided to challenge myself and to learn an instrument again and I chose to learn cello. And the reason wow. I chose yeah, the reason <laughs> I chose cello is um, it, was, it was the most removed from my first instrument so that I really would be learning again. But also I was deeply in love with the sound of it and I thought, well, put those two things together and... and um, it will be good and it's been great to go through the learning process again and to realise how hard it is and I understand so much more about my students now by being a learner again myself. How do you sound now on the cello? Uh, I haven't had any lessons during COVID so (laughs) (laughs) I could Um, but I do I do enjoy it and I do um, I do enjoy striving still learning still trying to do something that's really hard and also 
being able to watch myself, it's been quite a mindfulness activity to sort of watch myself get frustrated and what are my coping mechanisms and how can I change that? And I'm also modelling it for my daughter who is learning violin. And she struggles at times with her practice as well and just modelling that you can get frustrated but you can get through it and you can find different answers or problem solve in a different way. And a lot of that, um, what you just said, encapsulates what you are sharing in this book um, about what's so great about music for kids. But let's start at the very beginning because Mm. you do. You went all the way back to birth and Mm. I love the idea that you write about that babies hear their mother's voices like music. Mm. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so it comes from... I mean, I guess basically researchers started with adults, but then they kept going back and back and back and back and going, well, where do we first understand music? And the fascinating part of it is we actually probably understand it before we're born because we're born with our music processing networks intact and it's actually the first way that we understand the world. And that's that what leads on to the idea that when a baby hears its mother's voice in particular, <clears throat> it can... it it is using its music processing network to understand everything. So therefore mum's voice has all the musical properties to it, all the rhythm and all the melody. And babies very quickly identify who is safe, who cares for them, who is part of their tribe or their family um, just through their voice. And singing is as anyone knows, <laughs> is that feeling of it goes straight to your heart. It goes right inside of you, brain and body, um, straight away. So singing is the, is sort of like the, the shortest distance between a parent and their child and that's why it's, I think, so intuitive why we just do it and um, also why it's so powerful. Now, you go through lots of different stages of life, but, of course, I am very interested in the under sixes. Mm. And another thing you write about is how keeping rhythm can help with reading skills. Yeah. How does that work? Well, it was, oh, I was so excited when I first came across this research. Keeping a rhythm, so keeping a beat, and we've got to make sure we use all the right words, keep, beat is that sort of consistent thing that we sort of hear the, the bass drum doing in a, in a song or we, what we want to tap our foot along to. So if we think about beat, it's really consistent, it's really um it's the same distance between each sound. It takes quite a bit of control to keep that beat going. It, can, it takes even more control when there might be other sounds or rhythms happening around that beat or there might be other people talking. So it's what it actually is, is it's a real life on the outside behaviour that tells us that the connectivity in the brain has sort of reached a new level and we now understand that that new level is indicative of being ready to read. So it's kind of, it's called pre-reading or pre-literacy phase. And I love the research so much because in preschool, which is, they did this between sort of three and four-year-olds, they could see kids who could keep a beat and they called them synchronisers. So who could synchronise with a beat? Um, And then they followed those kids into school and they followed the fact that their reading tended to be, on the whole, really normal progression, which I think is what every parent wants. About the age of five, there's always a, oh, how are they going to go with reading? And that was that's really wonderful. But the non-synchronizers, the kids who couldn't sustain a beat, tended to have more trouble when they got into school and they were reading. Now, what I love is the fact that we've got this time between the age of about four and five where we can do lots and lots of musical activities to encourage the brain to make those connections so that they're ready cognitively to take that next massive leap, which is actually reading. 
Talk to me about learning how to read music because uh, I've been sitting with my son who's in kindergarten and he's learning to read mm. and it seems like a really challenging process for kids. Mm. Um, but when you're learning an instrument, you often have to learn a whole other set of symbols to learn how to read music. I mean, is that just a lot to ask of a child? No, actually it's the reverse. It's actually um, an activity that can assist kids with their reading of words. So reading words and reading musical symbols are the same cognitive activity, meaning the same pathway gets travelled, and it's what's called a symbol-to-sound system. So children see a symbol, and then the very next thing that happens is inside their brain it plays the sound that's associated with that symbol inside our heads. And then wow. what it does, yeah, and when you think about how fast we read, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And then what it does is it tells our body how to make that sound and then as soon as the sound comes out of our mouth or out of our instrument, the sound goes back into our ears and we kind of do a double check and we go, did it sound like it sounded like in my head? Do I need to change a little bit? What do I do? Which is, and you'd be in the perfect position because you'd be watching that process in slow motion. It's that they, you can see your little one reading the word and then there's a delay and that delay is that him hearing it in his head and then being able to say it out loud. And that's why they often tell us in all the, the sort of notes that come home that we need to just wait a little bit longer than we think we should. Now what's fascinating is kids who read musical symbols before they read language symbols tend to do better at their language symbols because it's kind of like they've already learnt that process. So they get to the language symbols after the music ones and they go, oh, I've done this before. This is the same pathway I've travelled. So that's why how they think it's connected. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have picked up a, a new instrument yourself in the last three years. Mm -hmm. After all this research, have you seen how your own music training, both when you were learning the clarinet and then later when you're learning the cello, mm. has impacted the way you learn new things? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, I think I now understand my personal way of learning is very sensory. So I have to, it's almost like all my senses have to agree with themselves for me to actually learn something. So it's about coordination and it's about imagining what I want to hear out of the instrument and then almost talking to my body and saying, I want to make this sort of sound. I can hear it in my head. What would I have to do to my body to make that sort of sound? So it's been, it's kind of, I, I feel like I've learned a lot more. I've done it in real time with myself, but I think the thing I've really learned is about how quickly you get frustrated how much learning an instrument hurts, I'd forgotten that. I've forgotten that it hurts your fingers. And when I let the clarinet, I've forgotten <laughs> it hurt my mouth. And that that's just so frustrating as a, as a young one to, to go through that. But I think the more I know, the more I can say, you know, to my daughter or my students, ah, oh, that fourth finger's really hurting, isn't it? Let's give it a rest for a second. Let's try it again. And it gives them the knowledge. It's like, oh, you know that my finger's hurting. So if I give it a rest and I do it again, maybe I'll get it right. So it's taught me... It's allowed me to understand the process from a far more a personal point of view, which, again, makes me hopefully a better teacher. Do you hope that this book, The Music Advantage, will have an impact on the way music's viewed in our primary and secondary school systems? Yeah, I, I would love it to. I think in many cases what I'm trying to 
to say, and I hope people get this from the book, is that we should be asking more questions. We should be thinking about where music sits in every child's development, not in just those who happen to show an interest or those whose parents can can pay for it. What's what's the place and purpose for every child's in every child's education for music? And I think that's really important. I would love principals and school leaders to read this and sort of go, okay, let's look at our music program and see how we can do better. Um, and I'd love parents to not feel as helpless if they haven't had their own music education when their own child is learning. I'm hoping this will give them little insights into what's happening inside their child's brain and what they can do to help as well. Anita, it's always fascinating to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. That's Dr. Anita Collins. She's the author of The Music Advantage. You'll find a link to the book in the notes of this episode. And we also, a few years back, did a podcast with Dr. Anita Collins called The Lullaby Effect, which goes into much more detail about babies and music and singing and all wonderful stuff. So I'll put links for that in there as well. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.